0: up to 45% on dish TV packages today. These are limited time offers and can change at any time. Call fast. 800-405-2561. 800-405-2561. 405 2561 That's
1: 800-405-2561. Get ready to grip it and rip it. All right, let's move out. We got the go offers. Dedicated to bringing better golf to America. This is Tea to Green, the Golf Show.
2: That's right, it's golf, and that's the language we speak every Sunday right here on Tea to Green, the Golf Show. Thanks for listening and for being the most important part of what we do every Sunday. Jay Ritchie, along with Jerry Evans at the five-star Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado, the longtime home of Tea to Green. Well, actually, Jerry is not here today. It's his birthday. So we gave him the day off. Happy birthday, Jerry. By the way, Jerry, you're going to miss a great show. On Tee to Green today, just one guest. Don't need anyone else when that one guest is Hale Irwin. We've been trying to get Hale Irwin on the show for a long, long time, but it never worked out until now. He's here in Colorado Springs for the inaugural Hale Irwin Awards Dinner. That's for a new award to honor Colorado's golf person or persons of the year. We got him on the phone earlier this week, and we talked about his childhood and learning to play golf, his professional career, his three U.S. Open wins, 45 senior tour victories, which, by the way, are the most on the senior circuit, and competing with the likes of Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer. Gary Player, Lee Trevino, Johnny Miller, Billy Casper, Tom Watson, and other golf greats of the 1970s and 80s. We also talked about his days on the American Ryder Cup squad when all of those guys he competed against were now his teammates. We'll also talk to Hale Irwin about his current passion, golf course design. Along with Scott Cuddy in Master Control, I'm Jay Ritchie. Thanks for listening as we tee it up with Hale Irwin next on Tee to Green. It's early Sunday morning. The sun is coming up. I'm on the tee at 7. I'm here to try my luck.
3: travelers do you want to save money on your next flight then pick up the phone and call that's right call because the best prices are not online they're with smart fares see SmartFares fares has special deals with the airlines when they have unsold seats they use smart fares to fill them so you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices our prices are too low to publish online with the extra money you'll save you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping
0: That's 855-325-1780.
3: It's time to play
4: Vomit or No No Vomit. vomit. Brought to you by Nauseen. Let's
5: jump right in. Imagine the night before Thanksgiving you partied too hard. Now you're suffering through Turkey Day trying not to ralph on Uncle Ralph. Bob, do you A, vomit, B, guzzle the pink stuff, C, take fast-acting Nauseen.
3: Um, take Nausine?
5: Correct. Nausine's four-minute formula quickly relieves stomach discomfort from overindulging in food or drink.
3: Get fast-acting Nausine now. Available in stores everywhere. Use only as directed.
5: Message and data rates may
6: apply. Please do not text and drive. See for terms and conditions. And now for an important announcement. Do you, or does someone you know, sweat the bed? Do you ever wake up feeling like you've been sleeping on a slip and slide? Sweating the bed is a serious but a common problem that affects your sleep Try the Purple mattress risk-free for 100 nights and never sweat the bed again. And for a limited time, pick a free Purple product with your mattress purchase by texting Sleepy to 84888. The coolest sleep of your life and a free Purple product by texting Sleepy to 84888. That's S-L-E-E-P-Y to 84888. The Broadmoor
1: is one of the world's premier resorts. This 3,000-acre property has 700 rooms and suites, a world-class amenity spa and fitness center, plus more than 185,000 square feet of meeting space. The Broadmoor is located five miles southwest of downtown Colorado Springs and one hour south of Denver. The Broadmoor continues to stand in the forefront of world-class facilities, amenities, and service, combining modern comfort and convenience with an elegant charm of the past.
2: The show by golfers for golfers. It's Tita Green. It's the golf show coming your way once again from the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Jay Ritchie. And our special guest on the show today, the great Hale Irwin, first all-time in wins on the Tour Champions, the PGA Champions Tour, a three-time U.S. Open champion, and a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame, elected to that uh, body back in 1992. Happy to have Hale joining us on the show today. How are you doing, Hale?
4: Doing just great, Jay. It's uh, We're coming in the close of a, a very exciting season. I didn't play that much, but nevertheless, it was a... Very wonderful season, and uh, looking forward to 2020.
2: Yeah, I want to go back a little bit. Everybody kind of kind of knows, at least the, the serious golfers out there, knows the, the Hale Irwin story. You, your family moved from Missouri to Colorado at a young age. You grew up and played uh, high school sports in Boulder, then went on to the University of Colorado, where you were all Big 8 in football and the NCAA Division 1 golf champion. I want to go back even a little bit before that. I was reading in your bio that your father introduced you to the game of golf when you were 4 years old. Every every parent introduces his his children or child to something at a young age hoping hoping it'll stick or impact their lives down the road somewhere. Why do you think your dad chose golf? Well,
4: I grew up my parents lived in Oklahoma at the time. I was born in Missouri simply because that was the nearest hospital. And uh, as a, a mere babe, I lived in Oklahoma. Then we moved across the line into a small town in southeast Kansas. And Mickey Mantle was the local hero. Being from Commerce, Oklahoma, that's not far from where I grew up. And so baseball was king there. But there was a little nine-hole sand green course, uh, a mini course that my dad played every now and again. And He'd take me out there. He'd get some old clubs and cut off the, the shafts and wrap the shaft in electrical tape, and that was my golf club. And I was intrigued by it simply because I could do it on my own. I didn't need someone else to play catch. or I didn't need another group of players or people to, to do something. And I was uh, intrigued by the game, even as a young man. But where that was going to go, I had no idea. I think at the time it was just another... Uh, that I played in although not too many other kids my age did in this little town and when we moved to Colorado when I was 14 I, I got more intrigued with the game uh, I did a little caddying what is now, well, I don't know what it is now but it used to be Boulder Country Club and then it became Flatirons and then University I'm not sure what it's called now but I would caddy there and take the green fees and pay the green fee in the afternoon and play a bit my mom and dad in it entered me in a uh, in a local JC tournament uh, the week we got there and the following week I played and I won the tournament and I thought that was pretty cool having <laughs> never played before and uh, doing that so I suppose at the age of 14 was really when my appetite for golf was uh, really peaked and uh, then it, it was uh, I won't say downhill from there I think as far as interest goes it just increased and uh, up we went and It's been a a lifelong journey. What golf has given me, I'll never, ever be able to replace. So, uh, in just many ways, trying to give back as much as I can.
2: Did you play, besides golf and football, did you play any other sports as a kid?
4: Baseball, like I said, was probably, frankly, it's probably the sport I was best at. Uh, When I got to Boulder, the team that uh, I was playing on was just prior to the the boulder collegians which went on to win the national baseball congress term wichita it seemed like yearly that was a really good team that we had assembled and frankly it got boring you know, we the pitching was good we didn't we didn't get a lot of balls in the field to to field and uh by the time you've hit hit a brown and you know you've been a bat six or seven times uh it, it just got a little boring and i think at the age of 16 when i I was driving, I was getting ahead of social life, I was working eight hours a day as a laborer for my dad and my uncle. I just ran out of time. Something had to give. But uh, I kind of did all the, the seasonal sports, and uh, one by one, they kind of kept dropping away. When I got to college, it stayed with football, and I got out of college, here we are.
2: Yeah, it was convenient to growing up in Boulder with the University of Colorado right there. Had you stayed in Missouri, or had you grown up and played somewhere else, do you think you might have had the the same opportunity to get to and play college uh, D1 football?
4: Well, that I don't know. Uh, like I said, I, I really was raised in Kansas, although Missouri line was not far away, and the Oklahoma line was one of the same. It was kind of that little small area in southeast Kansas. But I, I wouldn't think that had I not moved to Colorado and moved to Boulder and experienced some of the... Placers of the University of Colorado and what the state of Colorado had to to offer. I doubt that where I was growing up, had I stayed there, I would have achieved uh, at least the initial notoriety. But as I say that, here's Payne Stewart, who grew up in Springfield, not that far away. Yeah went on to win two U.S. Opens, so I guess it's possible anywhere you live.
2: <laughs> Hale Irwin, our guest today here on Tee to Green. Hale, you've probably, probably been asked this a million times, but the two sports, football and golf, are so different. Was there something in football that you were able to carry over into golf that helped you?
4: Well, absolutely. I think what we're really seeing in today's game is the physical fitness of the players that are playing now. I think I've I had that from the very beginning because I, I was pretty fit playing football. And while I, I let it slip for a while, I think it was always part of my uh, my 15th club, if you wish. But I think it was uh, mentally I got more out of it simply because the positions that I played in college uh, as a quarterback and as a defensive back, in, in many ways they're kind of insulated from uh what's going on. As a quarterback, you have to kind of maintain a bit of a, a broad perspective and, and really keep your, your mind in the game and, and know many of the details of what's going on. As a defensive back, sometimes you, you really have to do your assignment. If you miss an assignment, it's probably a touchdown. So you have to really concentrate, uh, focus on what you're doing. Yeah, against all odds, you know, I wasn't fast, I wasn't big, but against all odds, I did have some success. I think it's just because I I tried harder than the next guy. I studied harder. I, I reacted better. I, uh, I won't say I was a better player. I just think that I applied what talent I had better than most. That really carried over into golf for me, That the discipline to do that.
2: Yeah, so you win the NCAA Golf Championship. You turn professional. You come out on the tour like around 1970 or so, and uh, that was still the heyday, very much so, of the big three, you had Palmer, you had Player, you had Nicholas, and the guys you had been reading about, watching on TV. Now you're out there, and you're going head to head with these guys, trying to beat them. What was that like?
4: Well, you know, my my first tournament Jay, was in May of 1968. I started mid year of 68, and and when I, you know, the state of Colorado provided me a great basis from which to learn how to play golf. But boy, you really don't know what you're. You're in for it you hit the tour and you see how really good everyone else is. And when I got out there and I saw firsthand, as you mentioned, the big three and and others uh, that were out there, I thought, oh, my goodness, uh, have I got a lot to learn. And I really tried to be a sponge. I tried to absorb what I saw in the the really good players. What did they do that I didn't do? How did they prepare? Uh, How did they approach playing the game? What was their equipment like? I went through all that stuff. Uh, not really being vocal about, it. I didn't get in somebody's face and say teach me everything you know, but I, it was something that I tried to absorb. and one of the gentlemen along the way that really helped me in that regard was Dale Douglas. Uh, Dale was been a friend for many, many, many years and, and he really kind of embraced he enjoys uh, his life, embraced Sally and I and kind of helped us along and learn how to live on the tour. Not so much how to hit a golf ball. I think everybody that gets out there can hit a golf ball. But how do you live? How do you make your life? How do you make your living traveling and playing golf? And it's, it's far different than a lot of people think uh, when you're out there doing it. But for me, I think I just went back to the old adage that my dad told me long, long ago, is don't start something you can't finish. And so I had a bit of determination to succeed.
2: Hey, Lerwin, our guest. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and continue on the other side. It's Tita Green from the Broadmoor. I'm Jay Ritchie. We'll be right back.
0: 800 485 6003. 800 485 6003. Call right now. That number is 800 485 6003.
7: There's only one other acceptable theory about how to hit
6: a golf ball. Oh, boy. Well, I'm afraid to ask. Well, what is it? What's the other theory?
7: Grip it and
1: rip it. T to Green takes you to the driving range with our tip of the week. The Broadmoor is one of the world's premier resorts and the longest holder of the prestigious AAA Five Diamond Award. This 3,000-acre property has 700 rooms and suites, a world-class amenity spa and fitness center, plus more than 185,000 square feet of meeting space. The Broadmoor is located five miles southwest of downtown Colorado Springs and one hour south of Denver. The Broadmoor continues to stand in the forefront of world-class facilities, amenities, and service, combining modern comfort and convenience with an elegant charm of the past.
7: Hi, everybody. This is Mark Kelbel, the head golf pro at the Broadmoor. Today I want to speak to you a little bit about the setup, grip, two very, very important things to play consistent golf. If you want to hit good golf shots, you better learn how to grip the club correctly. Your left thumb has got to go about 1 o'clock. Right thumb about 11 o'clock on the other side. They oppose each other. The club is gripped in the palm of the left hand and the fingers of the right. Very, very important. They need to stay together to have them act as a hinge as much as possible. Now the setup, your feet need to be about shoulder width apart. Your hand's about a Coke can away from your legs. Left shoulder slightly higher than your right. That's important because your right hand is lower on the shaft than your left. Also, your feet, hips, and shoulders all need to be parallel. In other words, you don't want your hips open, your shoulders open, or one foot behind the other. This will help you hit good golf shots, no matter what your lie is, no matter what the distance into the green is, or if you're off the tee.
2: For more on the swing and on the grip, check out t2greenradio.com or visit your local PGA professional. Talking golf, fifty-two weeks a year, and loving it right here on T to Green, the Golf Show. We're at the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado, I'm Jay Ritchie, and we're talking to Hale Irwin. We're going back and reminiscing a little bit with the three-time U.S. Open champion and World Golf Hall of Famer, the all-time winner on the PGA Tour Champions, Hale Irwin. And Hale, we we kind of left off uh, in the last segment when you when you came on tour. And uh, you talked about absorbing all of this information and all of these things that were going to make you a better player as a young man back in the 19 uh, early 1970s. You spent the next decade or so competing against the likes of the big three that we talked about, Nicholas, Player, Palmer. Also, in, in that era, there was Lee Trevino, there was Tom Weisskopf there was Johnny Miller, there was Tom Watson. There were only so many wins in so many championships to go around, how were you and some of the other players able, able to compete?
4: Well, I, when you speak of those other players, you know, they've all got great resumes. They're major championship winners. I think you forgot a Billy Casper. Yeah. Uh, there are so many good players in that era that uh, maybe more than anything else, they were gentlemen. They were very competitive, but they were gentlemen. And, and I learned a lot how to how to proceed with my life on the tour hitting the golf ball, I think was an osmosis. It kind of came, the more you played, the more you competed, the more you got under the gun. Um, you learn from those experiences. And when you're playing competitively every day, every week, and almost 11 months of the year, you start, you start getting better. If you don't get better, you, you go home. For me, those guys were, uh, they were showing me how I needed to, perform to win and it didn't come uh, that easily but once you start winning you you get the formula of what it takes for for you an individual can't do the same thing that jack does or lee or arnie or any of the others but what it took for me to perform at my best when you learn that then you start becoming a factor in in, uh, in your career and it took me several years to kind of find out who i was and what that formula might be. And once I got onto that, then I started performing. I started winning. I started getting those uh, those chances. And, and unless you knock on the door, you never know what your chances are be, to be. So you, know, you have to step up. You have to not be afraid to succeed. You have to go out there and, and give it your best shot and understand it. It may not be good enough that week, but that doesn't mean it might not be good enough next week.
2: Yeah, definitely. Was there a player or, or several players that you were closer to than others during that during that time?
4: Well, like I said earlier, Dale Douglas was one of my very close friends, and Dale was a very good player. Uh it wasn't as prominent as, say, a, an Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicklaus by any means, but Dale was a steadfast guy, a real friend, and I think through the years really had a uh, a real positive effect on on my career and and how I lived and how I played. But there were other players that uh, people might not think of guys that I qualified back in May of 68, when we went to the qualifying school, some of those guys were friends because we started together and some of them lasted for a while. Some of them didn't. And I saw some of the mistakes that perhaps they were making that led to negative results, whether it be an attitude, whether it be in how they were playing, uh, homesickness hits you big time. You know Things that you, you got used to having at home or having set at your table, so to speak, uh, are no longer there, and you have to learn your own way. So, Many an example was out there on how to, to go about playing, uh, how to keep a steady head, if you wish. Uh, George Knudsen from Canada, maybe some people might remember George was a great ball striker, and I like to watch him because he had a nice fluid motion, and he had a great way of of hitting the golf ball uh, the attitude wise you know, you look at nicholas and how intent he was on how he played the game he didn't change his game from day to day to day he just played steadily he kept that focus all the time you look at arnie the way he got fired up and the way people got behind him so you had to learn a balance between how to focus how to charge yourself up how to keep things under control uh how to keep your tempo going so I tried to look at all of those kinds of things, different players, and see what succeeded. You saw Lee Trevino and his colorful ways of doing things. Well, you know, if you can't be a Lee Trevino, then don't try to be because there's only one Lee. You look at Gary Player, and he's not a very big man, but he achieved great things in the game. Well, you didn't have to be a real big guy to succeed. So lots of examples on how to succeed, lots of different formulas. You just have to find your own.
2: 20 PGA Tour wins. Of course, the top of your resume will always have the three U.S. Open championships in '74, '79, and 1990. But what a lot of people don't realize, you were also a t- top five in all four of the majors. They talk about a Grand Slam. You came pretty close.
4: I had my swing at it uh, in my way. I it may have been in '75. I I'm not sure that. Date, but I remember leading the Masters after two rounds, and you know, who's Hale Irwin compared to Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and some of these other great players? And I'm walking off the first tee in the last uh, in the last group, and the leading after third round. I look around; there's hardly anybody in the gallery. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a, a real wake up call that hey, I'm not what I think I am. I've got to go out and prove myself again. Until you until you make a name for yourself, you're you're really not going to have a, the following. But I remember that distinctly, and uh, it, it was it, – stardom doesn't come without a lot of sacrifice, and there has to be a way in which you – you may not want it. Some people revel in it. Some people don't. Um, one win or two wins or a U.S. Open win, it's not going to give you that star power. You have to succeed over a period of time in a big way to, to gain that status.
2: Hale Irwin with us today on TD to Green. Hale, did you prepare differently – for a major than you did for other tournaments? Uh,
4: I tried different formulas. Uh, Again, I I looked at what Jack was doing because Jack was sort of the barometer, the baseline by which we all performed uh, in the major, certainly. And he generally would take the week off prior to a a major and go home and come in early and do his practice round. I, I remember going down again to Augusta over the weekend before the tournament and and spending several days with Jack playing and and uh, he went home on a Monday and came back on a Wednesday afternoon. Well, I didn't have that luxury. I didn't have the airplane. I didn't have that luxury to go back and forth like he did. So, I found myself sort of flopping around a little bit. By the time Thursday came, I was ready to go. But unfortunately, by the time the weekend came, I was a little low on adrenaline. So, I found that for me, I, I really can't go in early like that. I need to go in a little bit later, perhaps a Monday or Tuesday, so I, I cycle myself up and I, I stay up. I really learned that Jack, by going home, he cycled down. I didn't go home, so I stayed up, and by the time the tournament got started, I was starting to run low on gas. So I, I found, for me, going into a tournament the week before, really depended on how I felt. If I felt like I was playing well and I was ready, yes, I would go play. If I felt like I was a little not quite ready, then I wouldn't play. I would go home and let it just go by me so when I got ready for that major week, I was ready and willing to put in the time and effort to get ready.
2: Of all of those tour wins and the major championship wins the three U.S. Opens, is there one that, that maybe you feel a little better about than others?
4: Well, there's no denying that first win as a professional is extra special. That's what you're out there to do. Uh, your mind came in November of 1971. I had worked long and hard as a Monday qualifier going to 71. I was exempt. So I had a, I had a, a reason to start looking at the future as something brighter than it, what it was maybe the year before. And when I finally won at the end of the year, it was, such a relief, and to do it with the holiday season coming up, it really set me up for a for the next well, gosh, ten years. Uh, I played very, very well. And what you have to remember is that you go in. The majors are certainly majors, but you have to go in thinking every one, every one of these tournaments is similar or alike. You can't get yourself too amped up or not amped up enough. I tried to approach every tournament as okay. It's just the first hole. Hit it in the fairway. doesn't matter what the label is of this tournament. Yes, it's a major, but let's not get yourself too amped up for this. And I did that for all of including the U.S. Opens. Even maybe more so, I tried to amp down, keep it very, very simple, because you can get wrapped up in other things so quickly. So that's what I learned about me. I, I found that I couldn't get myself out there too far because then I would start taking in information that uh, I didn't need at the time
2: come back and talk a little bit more with Hale Irwin and get ready to wrap things up as we are at the Broadmoor. This is Key to Green. I'm Jay Ritchie, and we'll be back right after this.
1: Do you owe $10,000 or more on at least two federal student loans? then you may qualify for new programs offered by the Department of Education. These programs can reduce your interest, lower your payments, and possibly qualify you for loan forgiveness. If you have $10,000 or more and at least two federal student loans and currently not in school, you may qualify for one of these programs. Call now to check your eligibility. Student loan advisors are standing by to help you determine if you qualify for these new programs they can help you reduce your interest, lower your payment, and even forgive a portion of your student loan debt. Take control of your financial future. Make this free 5-minute free call now to Nationwide Student Loans and learn how you can reduce your student loan debt.
5: 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851.
0: That's 800-403-5912. Want to fly somewhere looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets?
1: Tap it in, give it a little tappy, tap, tap, tap a rule. Time to work on your short game. Tea to Green helps you get it up and down. The Broadmoor is one of the world's premier resorts and the longest holder of the prestigious AAA Five Diamond Award. This 3,000 acre property has 700 rooms and suites, a world class amenity spa and fitness center, plus more than 185,000 square feet of meeting space. The Broadmoor is located five miles southwest of downtown Colorado Springs and one hour south of Denver. The Broadmoor continues to stand in the forefront of world-class facilities, amenities, and service, combining modern comfort and convenience with an elegant charm of the past.
7: Hi, everybody. This is Mark Kelbel, the head golf pro at the Broadmoor Golf Club. Today, I want to talk to you about your bunker play. First and foremost... Play the ball off your left instep. Play the ball off your left instep. Secondly, you need to pick the club up outside. I'm gonna say eleven o'clock for some reference point, but far too many people take the club back too flat. If your hands are behind your body too quickly in the swing, that's big trouble out of a bunker. Thirdly, swing your arms out of a bunker. You need a nice full motion there. Follow through. End up with your weight. Over on your left side, get up on your right toe. It's very important to have momentum through the shot in a bunker to get the ball out and up on the green where you want it.
2: For more on how to get the ball up and down, visit T2GreenRadio.com or visit your local PGA professional. Golfers listen because we speak their language every Sunday right here. On Tee to Green, it's the golf show. We're at the Broadmoor. I'm Jay Ritchie, and no stranger to the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. Our guest is Hale Irwin, the, the all-time winner in wins on the Champions Tour, three-time U.S. Open champion, the oldest winner of that event at age 45, and a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame. We could go on and on talking about a list of accomplishments. Hale, you also got to play in five Ryder Cups, in which Team USA went 5-0, and oh your record individually in those five was 13-5-2. I would guess that you brought sort of that football mentality to the match play of Ryder Cup?
4: Well, I think you have to have a little bit of that mentality. Uh, you have to know that regardless of what you shoot, if you make a 12 on a hole, if your opponent makes a 13, that's you win. It doesn't does it go for a score. I felt like the head-to-head competition for me, uh, I I wasn't going to back down it. I enjoyed playing the best players from around the world. Uh, I enjoyed playing the top players that might bring out the best in me. It it, it was a little bit of a combative attitude, if you wish, but uh, that was one of the things you have to have when you're you're undersized and under talented playing at college football level. And I, I think that really helped me in match play. Yeah.
2: Now we we talked about this a little bit earlier in the in the interview, but on your Ryder Cup teams, you you got there and you look around in the locker room and there's there's Nicholas, there's Trevino, there's Gene Littler, there's Arnold Palmer, and the list goes on and on and on and on. That must have been quite an experience so being on the same team with those guys.
4: Well, the fun part was every year, every week, every month, every day, I'm competing against those guys. And while I respect them dearly, you're down deep. You don't want to, to lose to them. You want to You want to beat them. But for one week, every two years, I could wholeheartedly support these guys and, and hope that they they play well enough to win. And that was a, a real treat. The first Ryder Cup in which I played, my first match out, Arnie was the captain. He paired me with Gene Littler. And Gene was such a pleasant guy. And I had played some with Gene, but not a lot. But I, I knew Gene well enough. Uh, but what I didn't realize is that his game and my game were almost mirrored of each other. Uh, he hit the seven iron, the same distance I did. He looked at playing a shot the same way I did. We read putts very similarly. So it was a really good experience for me and, and perhaps Arnie knew this. I don't know. I never did ask him, but I, I felt very comfortable nervous in the beginning. Yeah. But I got really into it and, and we had a very good match and won quite handily, but Gene and I just paired up, I paired up so really well. That afternoon, I played with Billy Casper, another guy with whom I, I really enjoyed, but we had totally opposite games. While we won, it was, it was a laborious process because Billy's way of playing and my way of playing and how he thought about playing was entirely different than the Gene. So I think a lot of it comes down to as a captain and the success you might have as a player is how do you adapt yourself to a playing partner if you're in team competition? Or how do you go out there and play uh, on a singles, knowing the other guys are depending on you? So uh, it's it's a great feeling. It's a strange feeling, but I thoroughly enjoyed all of my associations with uh, the Ryder Cup, and then later on the Presidents Cup. It was uh, a fabulous experience.
2: Did you ever uh, have any desire to maybe be a Ryder Cup captain?
4: Oh yes, but I don't think the PGA of America had that <laughs> desire in me. They... <laughs> They're the ones that pick the captains, and I don't know if I was ever considered, but it would have been an honor to do so. But it didn't happen, so we move on.
2: And, you know, we, we talked about you being the oldest winner of the U.S. Open. You also won a tour event at age 49, and you're, of course, the all-time winner on the tour champions. Is that sort of a, a tribute to what we talked about early earlier? Are you talking about being in, in condition, taking care of your, yourself, physical fitness?
4: Certainly, I think we could probably tick off a lot of boxes on how those things happen when you get to be older. I think I've told many people that the best I've ever played in my career in terms of ball striking and doing the things I want to do, I was 52 years old. Uh, and you say, 52, really? Well, yeah, really. I think for several reasons. I was in shape. I had had some successes, so my confidence level was up. I was not faltering in my game. I had not lost any distance. I was, I had made a slight adjustment in my putting, which led to better putting. And all of a sudden, I'm hitting shots that are just fantastic, and I'm winning tournaments. It, it looks easy. It's not ever easy, but it, it looked easy. And, uh, but that's that's just the way I was. But I I would have to say that probably throughout my career, I I chose not to play as many tournaments as uh, a lot of the other players i enjoyed being home with my family that was part of i think my the formula for my success was i had to get off of the merry-go-round i had to get home to get some stability and see the family that i love and children with whom i wanted to spend some time with them and i i just couldn't couldn't keep myself on the road playing all the time that that was not going to be that was a recipe for disaster as far as i was concerned so i I didn't play as many times. I didn't make as many Ryder Cups as perhaps I could have. I didn't win as many tournaments as perhaps I could have. I just didn't have that incentive to go out and do that when the greater incentive was at home.
2: You're approaching your mid-70s now. How's the game? How's the golf game?
4: What game? <laughs> <laughs> well, as as one can expect, the um, time marches on. I feel like I'm capable. Of. There are other things that I think, quickly change your your scoring habits, if you wish. And a lot of it is focus. Uh, you approach, what do you want to do? You know, I, I've done just about all you can do in the game. What more is there? Let's just say I were to go on the PGA Tour Champions and, and win another tournament. That makes 46. Well, so what? Big deal. It doesn't mean a thing. But yet I can maybe do something with my grandchildren uh, or somebody in my family that really is a significant thing and will always be remembered. So that's kind of the the gist of my life right now is trying to figure out how best can I spend the rest of what I have in in my lifetime uh, giving back and doing things that are more worthwhile than just going out and chasing the ball around the beautiful green patch of grass.
2: Yeah, speaking of giving back, you were the winner of the 2019 Payne Stewart Award uh, honoring your contributions to charity. That must have been really cool to kind of follow in the footsteps of a guy like Payne Stewart.
4: Well, Payne was, uh, unfortunately, he passed at a bad time. He was really coming into his own as far as a human being goes. Uh, his wife, Tracy, was such a, a wonderful person and really uh, turned pain uh, down that path of righteousness. And I don't mean that uh, badly. I mean, it really, he he became a Christian and he was just one of the really good guys. Unfortunately, that the airplane death, uh, Christ took him away from us at a time when he was really getting into things and, making an impact in society. So I think it's very proper that a company called the Southern Company made this award possible with the PGA Tour, and uh, there have been some really great people along the way that have won that award, I know, to a person. We all are just extremely uh, proud of, I'm, I'm proud of winning it, but I'm more proud of the people that have done so much work behind the scenes that get such little fanfare. Uh, I, I feel like I'm kind of the tip of the spear, but boy, there's a bunch of people that are out there working very, very hard every day to make these charities work, and the, the people receiving the monies and the the gifts and the donations, making them have a better life.
2: Here in Colorado now, we also have the Hale Irwin Award, named after you, obviously, for the Golf Person of the Year in Colorado. What were the feelings when you heard about this?
4: Well, I was a bit surprised uh you know ed mate and the colorado golf association ed called me and kind of talked about the idea and so i'm all all for something that will designate people that have achieved something uh, through the game of golf and they they wanted to make it more of a competitive results rather than maybe something along the citizenship kind of line and so i think uh when you're talking about the number of people coming out of Colorado, that could be a short list. We may, may be doing this thing for three or four years and that's it, but <laughs> not, not really. When you look at some of the really good players that have come out of Colorado, have some association with that. And we're going to see more in the future. You see this young lady, Jennifer Cupcho, who's, who's been, been such a fabulous and positive performer thus far in her, her uh, early life. And of course, then we got Dale Douglas, who for so many years has, kind of been the epitome of being a gentleman and being a player those two people being the initial recipients of the award I'm, I'm very very proud of that we need to make those kinds of gestures to people like that because through golf we can achieve an awful lot of things and the game itself is a game for many people but for others it is a way of life whether it be professional or whether it be just the ordinary person out there it's their way of life going out and Enjoying some time with others, being outside, uh, chasing that ball around—it uh, brings a great deal of satisfaction to a lot of people. And I think it, it treats, it, it gives us things in life that we might forget about. But the game of golf brings those out: integrity, sportsmanship, friendliness, honesty. Those kinds of things are all right there, front and center in the game of golf.
2: You mentioned wanting to spend more time uh, with the family, more time at home. Are you able to do that and still run off and design courses all over the world?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: uh, the the economy around the world's kind of taken care of a lot of design work. Uh, we did we had a lot of work going in the in the eighties, and the nineties, and into the two thousands. And when two thousand seven, two thousand eight came along, it really put a big uh, negative impact on the number of golf courses that are being done. There are some now that are, are being uh, redone. We're just finishing up, uh, trying to finish up uh, a redesign of City Park in Denver. So there's a lot more of that going on. There are brand new golf courses. And I, I think there's a way in which golf will still prosper. The design work is still there, although not as uh, not as plentiful as it once was. But I, I thoroughly enjoy doing it it's a great expression of of uh, art if you wish in a different kind of way but I, I really enjoy the the challenges and the satisfaction of going out and doing a golf course it's just great fun
2: well this has been great fun too i really enjoyed it as someone who who's grew up in colorado and got to watch you both on the football field and on the golf course and then got to know you a little bit later in life i've been wanting to do this for a long time hill thanks for taking the time let's do it again sometime
4: All right, Jay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
2: All right, Hale. Thank you. That's Hale Irwin with us today here on Tea to Green.
0: That's 800-223-0992.
3: If you or a loved one is suffering from a physical or emotional condition that has left you unable to work, then listen carefully. Take this number down. 800-593-7491. That's 800-593-7491. Don't wait another minute to see if you may qualify for your Social Security disability benefits. Call Pinnacle Disability Group at 800-593-7491 for your free case evaluation. That's 800-593-7491. 800-593-7491. Call now. Imagine
5: this is your money and
3: someone wants to take it from you. Who is it? The
5: IRS. They want your money. And guess what? They can legally take it, all of it if they want. Remember, they sent you that letter that said, hey, you owe us a bunch of cash and we're going to take it from you. So what do you do?
0: That's 800-932-1749. The fastest
8: hour in radio and the quickest hour in golf. This is T to Green, the golf show. Not done yet. Jay Ritchie coming to you from the Broadmoor Resort. Colorado Springs, Colorado. Scott Cuddy is in master control. And uh, before we wrap up the show today, I'd like to thank Hale Irwin for taking the time to visit with us the Hall of Famer. And uh, Hale Irwin in Colorado Springs, of course, this weekend for the first annual Hale Irwin Awards dinner given to the person or or person, uh, Colorado person or person of golf And the two winners, appropriately, both Colorado golf stars, uh, Dale Douglas, who you just heard uh, a little while ago, Hale Irwin mentioned that he was a mentor to Hale during his early years. Dale Douglas joined the PGA Tour in 1960. He was a member of the 1969 Ryder Cup team, won three times on the PGA Tour, and a member of both the Colorado Golf and the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. Dale Douglas, one of the two thousand nineteen Pale Irwin Medal recipients, and the other, Jennifer Cupcho. Jennifer Cupcho won just about every female amateur event in Colorado for the past several years, and she recently turned pro before that, back in the spring. She was the winner of the inaugural Augusta National Women's Amateur Championship. She was the two thousand eighteen NCAA Division One individual champion. She was also a member of the United States 2018 Curtis Cup team and was a three-time Colorado Golf Association Women's Player of the Year. So Jennifer Cupcho, also one of the inaugural 2019 Hale Irwin Medal recipients. Those awards were handed out last night here in Colorado Springs at the Broadmoor Resort, and they plan to do that each and every year. The Colorado Golf Association and the Hale-Irwin Awards Dinner, and the Hale-Irwin Medal recipients named last night. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks to Scott Cuddy in Master Control. I'm Jay Ritchie. Thanks so much for joining us. Get out and play some golf this week. And when you do, hit them long, hit them straight.